to the Injured List Podcast, your source for all sports injury topics. For the weekend warrior to the sports fantasy guru, we keep you in the action and out of the injured list. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the host of the Injured List Podcast, Brian Scott. Before we get into my episode six pre-draft NFL special, a um, couple of announcements to make. Number one, this podcast is being recorded and brought to you unedited from start to finish with as little interruption as possible, just for the occasional seg- segue into a new topic or whatnot. But before we get into all this NFL stuff, I want to get something off my chest. If you haven't been watching the Last Dance documentary regarding the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan, um, I think you should. Especially if you're one of the younger people in today's NBA fandom who is unsure as to who the GOAT truly is, this will solidify and hopefully put an end to that argument once and for all. Jordan is like no any other player before or since. He is my favorite player of all time, even though I'm a Knicks fan and he used to kill the Knicks. You had to tip your hat to him every time he came to Madison Square Garden. And um, for me, this documentary just hammers home what I already knew about how great a player he was and how driven he was, and that's why he succeeded at such a high level. I don't think you see that in the NBA today. Just saying. All right, well, let's keep going. Now, the purpose of today's uh, podcast is to actually focus in on some of the players that are basically being heavily touted as some high prospects coming into this year's NFL draft. But I'm going to explore some of the injuries that they're coming off of or that they have dealt with in the past and see how that may impact um, their draft selection and uh, possibly their future in the NFL. So before I get into it, I just want to talk about some interesting facts regarding the NFL Combine, which is the big event that leads up and precedes the NFL Draft. Now, initially, the Combine was known as the National Invitational Camp, and it was started in 1982. And then after a few stints in New Orleans in 84, Arizona in 85, the camp was finally moved for a per- to permanent home in Indianapolis, where it's been since uh, 1987. There have been some different modifications along the way. At one point, there was a, more than one camp, and then they conglomerated and got them or consolidated and got them all together. But the art of evaluating players has evolved, um, and in the combine, they've included all of these extra physical feats, if you will where they basically have players running the 40-yard dash and doing vertical jump tests and bench press tests and all this fun, exciting stuff for you to kind of evaluate how they potentially may be in their professional careers. However, what is not well known nowadays is that the 
sole purpose or the primary purpose, I should say, of the combine back then, which is still a component and the main focus of it today, is to allow the NFL teams and organizations to ascertain as much medical information on players by doing medical examinations and reviewing their medical histories. That is truly the big component still today of the NFL Combine. And this is all leading up to the draft. So if you think that the 40-yard dash times and the bench press times and the vertical jump tests play a huge factor in where these guys get drafted, uh uh-uh, think again. It's actually the medical component and the orthopedic screening that take place during the combine. All that other stuff, they know how they're going to do because they can see them on tape. They can watch them each week as they perform in-game situations. Why do you need a guy standing jumping up to touch a little stick to tell you how great he's going to be. They don't, that's just extra icing on the cake, if you will. It's really for the fans. It's just to put out a show there for you. So you'll tune in, subscribe to these NFL networks, pay all those dues and watch the combine unfold before your eyes and think that maybe you'll get some extra information for your fantasy team. But the reality is the main objective of the combine leading up to the draft is to get as much medical information on these players as they can. And this literally starts right when they get off the plane in Indianapolis. They're basically shuttled to medical evaluations, usually by an internist and then uh, an orthopedic evaluation by some type of orthopedic surgeon. So every player sees at least one internal medicine specialist or internist and one orthopedist. They then receive a grade based on those evaluations. Now, during those evaluations, they also review previous medical reports, imaging tests and studies. They review any blood work that's been done, whatever basically the athlete brings with them as compiled by their athletic trainers at their colleges, whatever they can basically fit to their briefcase, they bring with them and the medical team basically reviews all of that. If they see a need to do any further testing like blood work, EKGs, stress tests, um, et cetera, they will then perform those tests while they're in Indy. If there's any need for them to see another specialist, cardiologist, intern, another internist, uh, foot ankle specialist, um, shoulder specialist, uh, neurologist, you name it, all of that is at their disposal while they're in Indy. It's essentially the most comprehensive medical slash orthopedic evaluation that you could probably get anywhere in the world at any one time. Most of us in society will never have a medical evaluation to this degree as these guys get at the combine. Now, after each player receives a grade, those grades are then compiled into reports, and those reports are sent to all 32 NFL teams. After they review those reports, the teams then have the option of doing what's called a medical revisit, where they can then select players that they want to They want to do further um, assessment on, further evaluation of, further testing with, um, physical examinations, and have their own team physicians then see these athletes and review their stuff. So that option exists for all uh, 32 teams, excuse me. Now, the grading system is not an exact science. The grades vary from team to team. Um, 
part of that is because the uh, professionals who are interpreting some of these exams and these reports and doing their examinations have different uh, viewpoints and different interpretations of these exam findings. Nothing is kind of written in stone. Um, some of it is subjective. But um, what you have to realize is that these medical professionals that are doing these exams for these teams and these organizations are some of the leaders in their respective fields. They're educators. They're, a lot of them are on the cutting edge or forefront of uh, current literature and research. And they have a ton of experience usually. They take this very seriously. They treat this like an educational conference. A lot of the medical personnel arrive to Indy ahead of time and they have um, various educational meetings, seminars, workshops, not only to talk about healthcare um, surrounding some of the injuries that these players incur, they do case reports, but they also talk about the business behind it all um, when dealing with their teams out in the, during the season. So it's uh, taken by the medical community very seriously, and it's a huge, huge thing leading up to the draft. In my opinion, it probably is one of, if not the most important thing in determining where these players are going to get selected. A lot of this other stuff, in my viewpoint, is just to you know, generate interest, generate excitement for the fans to get into it and get involved and hype them up for the season that's coming up soon. So, all right, now we're, we're going to talk about these players. I got them broken down into three categories, low-risk, moderate-risk, and high-risk athletes. Um, I'm going to go through each one of them. And we're going to briefly discuss some of the pre previous injuries they've incurred and um, kind of give a little bit of a status update as to where they're at now and whether or not I think this might be a red flag for teams uh, who potentially may draft them. Now, most of these guys are considered first-round draft picks. Some of them have dipped a little bit, maybe second-rounders, but for the most part, these guys were all looked at as pretty high-level prospects looking to go in the first round. Um you know, I'm not an expert in analyzing their game. I'll give a little bit of my opinion about what I've seen from some film, but I'm mostly going to kind of focus on what their most recent uh, injuries are or and or surgeries that they've uh, performed, had done, or had performed. Um, but we're going to take a quick break first, and then we'll come back and get right into it. You're listening to the Injured List Podcast with your host, Brian Scott your go-to resource for all sport injury-related topics. For show notes and other resources, visit theinjuredlist.com. Now, back to the show. Here we go. We're going to get into it now. I am going to start with the low-risk guys. And um, I don't want you to think that they're any less important. I just think that these guys are a little bit lower risk than some of the other players because of the nature of the injuries they're coming off of. And um, let's, uh, let's get into it. All right. So first player, Troy Dye. He's a linebacker from Oregon. He has... Sorry about that. See, this is what happens when you're live. He played half the season with a cast on his hand after he suffered a broken thumb. Um, and if you watched a videotape of this dude with this monster cast on his hand, it didn't seem to slow him down not one bit. He was making interceptions, tackling guys in the open field, sacking a quarterback, deflecting passes, you name it, dude did it with basically one hand. So that didn't seem to slow him down. But what did slow him down 
was the fact that he sustained a meniscus tear in his knee that caused him to miss the postseason and caused him to miss some postseason workouts. Uh, I believe he participated in the combine. Couldn't find out if he actually did or not, but I don't think this is going to hamper him too much. Meniscus surgeries are usually pretty quick clean up the knee kind of thing and usually back on your feet pretty quick. Um, shouldn't really cause any long-term issues. And the thumb, I mean, if you can get through a season with a cast on your thumb, I think once he gets that off, he should be just fine. All right, moving right along. Next up is wide receiver out of Arizona State, Brandon Ayuk. So he's a possible first round pick. Apparently he underwent a core muscle surgery back on April 7th after he had aggravated an already existing injury, which he had been dealing with for several months. Now, despite this injury, apparently he ran like a 4-5-40 at the combine, which is pretty impressive. Um, core muscle surgery, core muscle injury is a very vague description. And there's a couple of players that have this kind of tag going into the combine. So um, my best guesstimate is that he probably had some type of sports hernia. Um, those are usually not too debilitating for most guys. Um, and it's usually a pretty quick fix and the outcomes are usually very good. It's basically where um, your abdominal muscles kind of attach down into the pelvic region. Um, there's usually some type of defect in the muscle there. And that usually gets repaired with some type of mesh. They do it uh, laparoscopically now through a couple of small incisions. So the recovery time is pretty quick and most guys don't have any long-term effects and their outcomes are pretty good. So if that's what he had, I'm sure he'll be fine. Next up, Zach Moss. He's a running back out of Utah. He's two years out from a surgically repaired knee that he had injured in practice back in 2018. Now, the reason I put him in here was because he had a you know, anytime you hear that surgically re reconstructed knee, that's that's concerning. But he had a huge bounce back senior season in 2019, rushing for 15 touchdowns and 1,800 all-purpose yards from scrimmage. Rumors have him going in the first round to the Chiefs. Um, in my book, if there was ever a true test of someone's recovery after a surgically reconstructed knee, going an entire season and being productive on the football field would be it. So uh, unless he's got some type of anomaly that allowed him to play extremely well with a bum knee, then it appears that he's back 100%, and I don't think this is going to slow him down any bit. He seems to have a pretty high reward upside, so I think he's got a pretty low risk if he, since he got through the season remarkably well. All right, next up, LaVisca Chenault Jr., wide receiver out of Colorado. Apparently, he's had some numerous injuries throughout his career. Uh, the most recent was an injury that occurred during the combine while he was running the 40, and he still ran a 4.5. Again, he was one of these guys that was tagged with a core muscle injury. And apparently uh, MRI showed some inflammation around his pubic bone and this muscle injury. And that to me usually indicates some type of sports hernia, but it may also indicate that he had some type of groin injury. Um, apparently had surgery and he's going to be sidelined four to six weeks. Again, I'm unsure of the exact nature of the injury, but four to six weeks is not a tremendous amount of time. And if you're able to run a four or five with that injury, then I think you'll be just fine coming out. If that causes his stock to drop, though, somebody could get lucky and pick this guy up at a steal. So we'll see. Um, the dude's a pretty physical receiver. I watched a video on him. Uh, tough to bring down after the catch. He's got good hands and uh, deceptive speed. All right. Where are we? Ashton Davis is next up. He's a safety out of California. Excuse me. I had to take a sip there. Gee. Um, he was a pretty accomplished track and field athlete 
to his natural athletic ability when he came to California and apparently came out for the football team and uh, he's been a stud ever since. Now, apparently he had uh, some type of groin injury that required surgery and had to miss the bowl game and the senior bowl. According to all reports, he should be healthy and good to go uh, come training camp. Again, not sure the exact nature of this injury. My guess is that if it was a groin, it could be either a hip flexor or an adductor strain. Adductor is kind of similar to what the other guys that we mentioned may have had, where you have some type of core injury, uh, core muscle injury, or you have some type of inflammation around the pubic bone. Now, sometimes in these track people or these uh, football players, you can see an avulsion off of the muscles that of the hip flexors where they attach on the pelvis, and sometimes that needs to be surgically fixed. Regardless, it's usually a pretty straightforward procedure with a pretty good recovery, so I don't think this is going to hamper him too much. He'll probably go as projected. Um, which is pretty high first round. Next up is a wide receiver out of South Carolina, Brian Edwards. He's the all-time leader in receptions and yards for the Gamecocks. Now, he had a fractured fifth metatarsal in his foot back in February, was unable to participate in a combine, but reports say that he's recently been walking out of his boot, and um, come the combine, I'm sure he was... Uh, underwent a thorough medical with a lot of reviewing of his previous records. So we'll have to see where he is come training camp time. Uh, but I, I don't know if this is really going to make his stock fall too much. If he's out of his boot, that's encouraging because that means that the fifth metatarsal fracture was probably not a significant one. A lot of times they aren't and they heal just fine, but there are a certain select type of uh, metatarsal fractures, also known as Jones fractures, which can sometimes have a higher risk of not healing. My guess is that he does not have that because he's out of his boot. If he had had that, he would not be in his boot or he would have had surgery already. So I don't think he is going to hamper him too much. All right, we're going to take another quick break and then we'll be right back. Um, we're going to get into the more moderate risk players in just a second here. listening to the Injured List Podcast with your host, Brian Scott, your go-to resource for all sport injury-related topics. For show notes and other resources, visit theinjuredlist.com. Now, back to the show. All right. So, thank you. Thank you. Well, so I just want to Mind you guys that every Tuesday on Facebook Live, a good friend of mine, Abe Delgado, hosts um, the Devil's Advocate Sports Talk Show, which is a very fan-friendly, fan-oriented talk show where various topics uh, surrounding today's sports are discussed and fan participation is highly encouraged. So please check it out. Um, Abe has me on there regularly. I usually do a little segment with him, and we talk about various topics. I try to interject my sports medicine background and my injury knowledge into his show, and um, you know, we just try to keep it very fan-friendly, fan-oriented, and we talk about a lot of various topics. He usually has a lot of other guests on, so I encourage you guys to tune in. That's every Tuesday, 8 p.m., Facebook Live. Check out his uh, Facebook page. It's the Devil's Advocate Sports Talk Show Live. So I hope you'll come join us for that. All right, without further ado, let's move down into the moderate risk athletes. Now, before we get into this one, um, some of you might be surprised, but I actually have Tua Tunga Vailoa in this one. 
And if you haven't already listened, I have a podcast episode four, which basically discusses his entire injury and the nature of his injury and all the stuff surrounding it. So if you want to hear a more thorough explanation of what's going on with him, if you haven't heard enough already, tune into episode four um, of my podcasts. I want to release this little video clip, though, that I heard recently and just kind of put my final stamp on my remarks about Tua. Well, All right, let's move to Tua Tung Viola. No, 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 no. There's only one question about Tua in my mind, his health. Everybody loves the kid. There's reason to love the kid. He's a phenomenal player. We were talking to Warren Moon in a commercial break. Warren Moon loves him, but the injuries. Uh, Joel, I think the injuries are a red flag that teams shouldn't ignore. What say you? Well, it's it's not just the injuries, but I'll, I'll go a step further, actually. And, and Jace, think about it. All the injuries, at least the significant ones, were born out of the same problem. And that problem is actually in his own mind. Let me explain. I love Tua's game, but he thinks he's more elusive than he is. And because of that, he doesn't avoid completely. So when he's trying that's to get away from me. the defense and run that was away me, and create, by the way. what happens is, is he gets caught and he gets makes no sense. wrapped up from behind and his ankles get caught under defenders. Sorry, and then I'm getting fired up just listening to it. In the same exact style of vein. So when he thinks he is more elusive than he is, and that's how all three of his major injuries and surgeries What's happen. Talking about? There's a problem with his lack of adjustment in his game. He cannot play like that moving forward. If he plays more like Drew Brees in the NFL, I think uh, he can have a long career. But if he <laughs> thinks he's Russell Wilson, then we're going to see these uh, injuries pop up again. Remember, two tightrope surgeries in his ankle and a not the name of the surgery. major surgery on that hip. Love his game, love his decision-making and his accuracy, but he has to change the fact that he thinks he's more elusive than he actually is. First things first. To say that a player needs to change his style of play in order to prevent injury is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. To basically change his style of play, which is the thing that got him to this level in the first place and has put him on the map and put him as a potentially top 10 draft pick in the first place, is, is un unbelievable to me that somebody would actually tell him to do that. Number one. Number two to suggest that he basically brings his own injuries upon himself is insane as well. Um, I don't even know where to begin to compare that to. Things happen for a lot of reasons. Some of it, some of it is luck. Some of it is physiology. Some of it is physics. Some of it is, you know, just being unlucky. Um, but to suggest that he brings this upon himself because of the style of play that he should tweak his style of play to be more like Drew Brees is just unbelievable. So, uh, now, another thing I want to address is he did not have tightrope tight surgery. Tightrope is not a surgery. Tightrope is a surgical device that is used to treat ankle instability. And that is likely the surgery that he had done. Tightrope surgery itself is done to help stabilize certain ligaments that surround and protect the ankle joint. He may, I don't know what the reason why he had those done. One of them may have been elective where he chose to do it to prevent future injury. And one of them may have been done to, to treat the pre-existing ankle injury that he had suffered, I think last year or two years ago. But if you're going to start talking about it, know what you're talking about. 
Tightrope is not the surgery. Tightrope is a surgical device that is used to treat ankle instability. And to be honest, the surgery itself is not very invasive. It's a pretty quick procedure, and the recovery time and the bounce back time is actually not that bad. And most players do really, really well after that surgery. I've done a ton of them myself and with the doctors I've worked with over the years. It's an in and out thing. The recovery is very quick. Most guys are back on their feet really quick and back to sports really quick. So on that note, I'm going to stop talking about that because I've said my piece. So I have two in the moderate risk because, again, listen to my episode four and you'll understand why. I think he's just has much higher upside and he's worth taking a risk on. I can't put him in the low risk category and I don't want to put him in the high risk category because it seems like he's doing really well with his recovery thus far. So check out my episode four. All right, let's keep moving on. No, 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 no. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah, we're done with Joel Klatt. Don't worry. All right, people. Next up is going to be Marcus Bailey. He's a linebacker out of Purdue. He is six months out from a knee ACL reconstruction. He had been ranked as one of the nation's top linebackers heading into 2019. And only recently has he been cleared, though, um, to resume uh, football-specific activities. And there's a video posted of him doing some linebacker combine drills on his own. He looked pretty good. I don't think he's quite in game shape yet. Um, but he still has a little ways to go. Usually by 9 to 12 months post the surgery, these ACL uh, patients are good to go. And the ACL surgeries have come a long way in the years, and the surgical repairs and reconstructions have just been enhanced by some technological advances in the instrumentation. I don't see this as being a major setback for him. He looks like he's going to be ready to go come training camp. And if you're looking for an immediate impact player, this looks like the guy to pick. Um, the other thing is that the long-term studies with ACL injuries have shown that they're probably not as benign as we originally thought, but the short-term outcomes and stuff have been really good. So as long as there's no other internal structural damage within his knee and with an isolated ACL injury, then there's no reason to think that he shouldn't bounce back uh, just as good as he was before. All right, next up, Julian Okwari. He's a defensive end out of Notre Dame. He suffered a season-ending fractured fibula in Week 11 against Duke. Apparently, it was a pretty nasty injury, and the cameras had to pan away during the game so that they didn't catch it, <laughs> uh, which leads me to believe that it was, probably wasn't just a straightforward fibula fracture. There may have been some combined ligamentous injury and possible ankle joint involvement. Um, he had surgery January 21st, then returned to running about a month ago. Unsure as to the exact type of injury that he had, he seemed to be either tight-lipped about it or just didn't get known in the press for whatever reason. My guess is that it wasn't just straightforward, that he probably had some type of ligamentous repair. Uh, I calculated that it's probably about 8 to 10 weeks of t before he actually started running again, So, and that's just a, a guesstimate on my part. Um, if the ankle joint itself wasn't involved, then I'm hoping that this is not a major injury. But again, with the unknown factors in there, I had to put him in the moderate risk category. I don't think his stock will drop too far, though. Ankles tend to do pretty well. All right, next up is um, Antoine Winfield Jr. He's a safety out of Minnesota. Now, what's concerning for this young man is that he had a medical red shirt in 2017 and in 2018. But then he had an amazing comeback season in 2019. In fact, he forced as many interceptions and incompletions combined than the total number of first downs allowed, which is quite impressive. And he had an 89.2% cover grade, which apparently is really good. If you're grading at home, I don't really know. 
I don't really have too much specific information about the injuries that caused his redshirt seasons, except that it was a hamstring and a foot. But apparently he ran a 4.45 in the 40 at the combine, which should pretty much clear up any doubts about his health. Um, he is the son of Antoine Winfield, who was a Pro Bowl cornerback in the day. And um, just because of the unknowns and the fact that he had to redshirt two years, I put him in the moderate risk category. But it seems like he's doing really well and is not being hampered by anything currently. So we'll see. Next up is uh, Lucas Yang. He's an offensive tackle out of TCU. Senior season was cut short after um, seven games due to hip surgery. Apparently, he had a torn labrum, which was fixed. That surgery is typically done arthroscopically through some incisions. Most of the time, it's just debrided. It's not often repaired. But it can shelve you for four to six weeks of restricted movement activity, even if it's just a scope or a simple debridement. If it's repaired, it's a little bit longer. Uh, the short-term outcomes are very good. Usually 70-85% of those who undergo this surgery uh, have a short, quick relief of symptoms. But there's no real good long-term studies. So assuming the joint itself, like the cartilage and stuff, was not damaged, and I expect a full recovery. Problem is, is with an uh, offensive tackle, is you're constantly having to use your hips, bending forward with your pelvis, um, stabilizing your lower body. So it's, it's quite taxing on the hip joints. So... If there is any long-term potential for problems there, uh, it's going to be with a lineman. So hopefully for him, it's not too bad. All right, we're going to take another quick break, and then we're going to be back to discuss some more um, players. You're listening to the Injured List Podcast with your host, Brian Scott your go-to resource for all sport injury-related topics. For show notes and other resources, visit theinjuredlist.com. Now, back to the show. All right, I got the high-risk players coming up now, and I've only got two in this category, but for good reason, and we'll go into it. All right, first up, we've got Bryce Hall. He's a defensive back out of Virginia. Originally thought to be declaring for the draft his junior year, but decided to stay for his senior season and sustained a very bad ankle fracture dislocation. So he fractured the fibula, and then he also uh, tore his deltoid ligament. This happened in week seven while covering a punt um, against Miami. So basically ended the season. He had to have surgery to repair the bone, possibly the ligaments as well. This is speculation. He was unable to participate in the combine, but he should be ready for training camp, according to all reports. And unfortunately, this is probably going to slip him down the draft board because whenever you have a fractured dislocation of the ankle with ligamentous injuries, oh, that's just not good. And usually what they'll do when they fix this is they'll also do arthroscopic procedure to look at the ankle joint, make sure there's nothing seriously damaged with respect to the cartilage. But unfortunately, there is usually a high incidence of this occurring, and that could potentially cause some long-term uh, doubts. Now, he's projected as the second best defensive back in the draft behind Okuda of Ohio State, so we'll see where he goes. We'll know pretty quick, I guess, whether or not this is a, a significant injury if it affects his draft status. All right, the last player on my list, high risk, is Natan Muti. He's an interior offensive lineman from Fresno State. He's one of the more injury-ridden athletes in this year's draft, but also potentially one of the best. I mean, this dude's only played five games in the last two years due to various injuries, and he missed all of 2016. Yet, 
he's still ranked as one of the top five guard in the draft by many media outlets. So when he's on the field, his statistics apparently are lights out. And he's, unfortunately, he's, he hasn't had minor injuries. In fact, in 2018, he had an Achilles tendon rupture. And in 2019, he had a Liz Frankfurt injury. Both of which, if you're a lineman, not good. So not sure what his injury status is right now, but I'm sure the medical part of the combine for him is of the utmost importance when it comes to these organizations considering him for a draft pick. So this dude might slip down. It could potentially be a steal, but the problem is long-term durability for this guy is definitely going to be an issue as he's had some pretty significant injuries in just a short period of time and hasn't been able to really stay on the field. So that's uh, unfortunate for him. Now, that, uh, that concludes my um, concludes my pre-draft analysis. Thank you. I hope you guys found some useful information there. If you're any of your teams are considering any of these players, I hope they um, they uh, take this seriously and do their due diligence during the medical evaluations and make smart picks based on all that information. Now, just a couple closing remarks uh, in a minute. So we're going to take a quick little break and uh, we'll be back. Thanks for coming back, guys. Listen, I just want to do a couple of uh, closing remarks here. The conclusion of our pre-draft special episode, I want to take a moment to remind everyone, support your local small businesses. Um, it's a tough time for them. They're working hard, doing their best to stay afloat as we venture into some uncharted waters here with respect to this lockdown and social distancing. One of the proud sponsors of our show, of our podcast, is a small business owned by my good buddy, Sean Colas. His coffee shop is called the Perkentile and Creamery. It's located at 8635 Concord Mills Boulevard in Concord, North Carolina. If you, it's actually not too far from uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. If you go or you call in an order, ask for Sean, tell him that Brian from the Injured List podcast sent you, and he'll take care of you. It's a quaint little 1920s themed coffee shop right next to the Concord Mills Mall. They serve pastries, ice creams, chocolates, coffee, tea. They throw parties. They have family bingo night. They have open mic Fridays. You name it, they do it. They're working their tails off trying to continue to serve the community. So give them a ring, 980-299-6969. They're doing drive-up orders, takeout orders. Um, you know, any local business near you, just get out there and support them. They can really use the help right now. A lot of them are struggling. Hopefully, a lot of them will be able to survive this and uh, we'll all get through it together. Um, we're planning on doing some future episodes, uh, not only at Sean's Coffee Shop, 
but with Sean as well. We're going to talk uh, in a future episode about uh, caffeine and its effects on sports performance. So please tune into some future episodes, subscribe to the podcast, and um, get ready for some uh, a lot of stuff coming in the future here. I've got a lot of topics planned ahead, got a lot of interviews planned, and um, hopefully we'll be able to get all that stuff done in the near future here. Don't forget, every Tuesday, 8 p.m. on Facebook Live, I'll be the special injury analyst on the Devil's Out of Good Sports Talk show. He's got a big draft special coming out uh, Tuesday as well. So please tune in, participate, ask questions, or just enjoy the conversation. We would like to also be doing a live broadcast of that show, hopefully in the near future as well, um, getting together with myself and uh, Abe Delgado over there at Devil's Advocate. So stay tuned for that. Now, that's pretty much all I got today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, this episode was brought to you uncut, unedited, from start to finish. I hope you enjoy it. Much like the NFL draft is coming Thursday, we'll see who has more hiccups. I hope it's not me, but um, should be interesting. Definitely a first. So as always, stay active, stay healthy, and stay safe. 